0: You're listening to Hillary Simply, and I'm your host, Hillary. In the words of Albert Einstein, I have no special talents, I'm just passionately curious. So let's get curious, unpopular, and honest on endless topics together. Three, two, one. Hey, Scott.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Great, great. Glad just, to be here.
0: I'm super excited to have you on my podcast today today. For a lot of different reasons, because I feel like you're like the jack of all trades a little bit. It's like master of none. Well, uh, right. <laughs> is that the saying? Yeah. If you're the jack of all trades, then you're the master of none. That's right. Well, can you ever master anything though?
1: I, yeah, they say it takes 10 years to master something, right? So yeah, it did. I think years. at 50, I could have get at least four of them in.
0: True. Yeah. All right. So what are you the master of then?
1: Ooh, I don't know. I can't say I really mastered. Well, I have my black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I've done that for years. So
0: that sounds like mastering. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Do you compete?
1: I haven't in a long I mean I'm fifty two now, so it's kinda a little past the point. I also uh broke my back and had to have back surgery. What? So when did you do that? Out, uh two thousand ten.
0: Are you good now or do you have residual pain?
1: Well, I recently I did some stem cells down at my hospital and I'm about 90, 90% pain free since then. Before that I was in pain pretty much 24 hours a day, some type of uh, pain. Uh, I had a lot of sciatic pain from it. Um, But since doing the stem cell treatment, I'm way better.
0: Okay. Well, it's beautiful that you asked that because one of the biggest things I wanted to talk to you about was your hospital. Okay, So could you tell my listeners kind of like who you are and what, what you've got going on down there?
1: Oh, well, sure. My name's Scott Nelson or Scotty. Most people call me and um, I'm one of the uh, founders of Chipsa Hospital. Uh, we're located outside Tijuana, uh, Mexico in a little sleepy beach town called Playa's, which means beach. Oh, and um, Is it
0: on the beach or near the beach? It's
1: about three blocks from the beach. You can see the beach good. The sunsets are amazing there. Um, we're a 27-room cancer, mostly cancer-focused, but we also treat uh, autoimmune issues as well. And uh, we got started with cellular therapies for cancer and autoimmune about four years ago or so. And uh, more recently, uh, post-pandemic, we've moved into treating anti-aging and joint repair.
0: Wow. So you do all of those things is cancer yes. still like your main
1: cancer is still the main focus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then how did, how did you get started in this? Like what brought this about?
1: Um, I got started because my business partner, one of my best friends, Ed Clay, we've been friends for like 20 years. Um, he at, had owned a holistic drug rehab using Ibogaine down in Mexico city. Okay. And uh, Ed is such a brilliant uh, internet marketer and direct response marketer. Um, that when he bought half the clinic, he basically just kind of blew them up like more patients than they knew how to deal with. Uh And so, um, he decided to let those guys that he partnered with just have that business. Mm -hmm. And, um, he and my other business partner, uh, Dedrick Perry had found a clinic near where our existing hospital was. And they were trying to buy it, uh, um, to continue to do the holistic drug rehab there with IBGame. and,
0: And, and, Re, drug rehab, like from recreational drug rehab?
1: Uh, could be. Yeah. So, okay. uh, Ibogaine is a root, uh, that comes from Africa, um, not legal in America. And, ah. um, basically you take uh, an extract of this root and, um, it's uh, it's a psychedelic experience, but what it does is it blocks all the opiate receptors, um, in your brain. So you get rid of at least all of the physical withdrawals Um, from opiates. Now people use it for other, other drugs and stuff, but it is most effective on opiates. So some people that came down there, um, were recreational drug users that wanted to get off. Uh, but a bulk of them, uh, were people who were prescribed a lot of pain pills by their doctors for an injury like I had or Mm -hmm. something like that. And, um, either they can't get off the pain pills or they moved on to street drugs because their doctor stopped prescribing them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of people experience, uh, for instance, myself, when I got my back surgery for two years, my doctor would write me pain pill prescriptions like they were candy, just refill, 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 refill. And um, I think that frequently happens to people until they just cut you off cold Turkey. And then the system doesn't give you any support to deal with the withdrawals. And those withdrawals can be very severe for people.
0: Well, yeah, because even a drug rehabilitation is not typically covered by most insurance, right? right. So even if you have a desire to get off of pain pills, there's not a lot of support for you.
1: And that's basically what happened to Ed. You know, Ed was a high level mixed martial arts fighter, uh, blew out his knees and uh, had a team doctor that prescribed pain pills for him. And he tried really hard to get off of multiple times Um, finally spoke with a doctor who told him, look, America's behind the times on healthcare, Google Ibogaine. Uh, he checked it out, went down there three days later, he was, uh, drug free, no withdrawals and thought to himself, you know, like how does the whole world not, you know, he thought America has the best of everything like most Americans do, but quite frankly, we, we don't in some situations.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, and so he opens this, he blows it up You know, right. So they found
1: another clinic that was right near the hospital. And um, pretty much on the day that they were going to finish finalize the purchase and everything, their attorney figured out that the medical licensing paperwork was fake. And so they, as fate would have it, they bailed out of that deal, but they took a taxi and ended up driving right by Chips of the hospital that we ended up purchasing and took a picture of it sent it to a real estate guy, real estate guy was like, I know this hospital, I know the owner, this is what it is. Ed started uh, doing a Google search. And it turned out that that hospital was the original Gerson therapy hospital started by Charlotte Gerson, Dr. Max Gerson's daughter about 40 years ago. And um, that hospital just happened to be uh, the number one hospital in North America for one of the treatments we still use is called Coley's toxins. It's one of the original immunotherapies. And Ed had read a study uh, done in the early 1900s about um, Coley's toxins for rheumatoid arthritis. Ed's mom was very sick with rheumatoid arthritis, borderline, uh, you know, she might die from it. Not from the actual disease, but from all of the different medications they'd given her over the years had taxed her system. So it really, you know, worked out to be an amazing thing. So we, the hospital had been closed about 18 months um, Mm -hmm. when we reopened it we were able to bring back a large portion of the original staff to work there. And, um, uh, Ed's mom was our second patient
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, she came in a wheelchair left about a month later walking. And she's been in remission now for, I believe six years later from
0: rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. Remission. Yes. Is that even a thing? Like I, obviously it's a thing, but I, when, from what I know, which is very little about rheumatoid arthritis, like once you have it, Like you have it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about American medicine. So yeah, yeah.
0: I didn't even know it was possible to go into remission. There's a
1: lot of things that are possible outside the U S.
0: Okay. So are most of your treatments that you do at the chips, hospital not allowed in the United States?
1: Um, yes and no. So some of our treatments are um FDA approved. Uh we have a treatment called uh, Apatone mm-hmm. which is basically vitamin C and vitamin K3. Um it's been through phase 2 trial in the United States. If I believe if i remember correctly um but it's super expensive uh, in the United mm-hmm. States. I think when we were looking around at pricing for our patients it was something like $50,000 a month and insurance won't pay for it because chemo is approved for treating cancer and the way the approval process works. um, My understanding is that if a drug um, is faster and cheaper, then that's what the insurance company goes with, let alone if one is completely non-toxic. So we're actually able to get that patient to our, that drug Apatone to our patients for about $750 a month. Same thing. So some Mm -hmm. of our treatments are actually um, legal in the United States. It's just much, much less expensive. Now, something like Coley's toxins, Coley's toxins is just a natural dead bacteria, uh, similar to staff. And what it does is um, it revs up the immune system. So you kill the bacteria before you put it, inject it into the tumor or give it to the patient and it revs the immune system up because it thinks you have a bacterial infection. And the goal is to show the immune system where the cancer is so that the immune system will attack the cancer itself. Um, The goal is to create what we call um, or what is called a durable remission and a durable remission is created when the very last cancer cells are killed by the body's own immune system. So chemotherapy in some cases can be very effective and will kill a lot of cancer, but I always liken it to if your big brother in high school beats everybody up and no one picks on you, but once he graduates, you have no defense.
0: And so when the
1: chemotherapy kills all the cancer, your immune system doesn't have a chance to fight it. So frequently it comes raging back unnoticed.
0: Well, is that, is that often also because you're actually suppressing the immune system with chemo? Yes. Okay. So now, now not only is your big brother not there, but now
1: you're a weakling cause you never had to work out. Yes. <laughs>
0: ah, <laughs> fascinating. Okay. So how does, how does one find out about you guys?
1: Uh, Well, we're on the internet, chipsahospital.org. That's the best place to find us.
0: Yeah. I feel like when I was thinking about having this podcast with you, I really wanted to know like what was different. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds like everything you're doing there is a lot more natural.
1: Well, you know, we do use chemo. So one thing, um, you know, chemo has its place. uh, And certain cancers are actually very effectively treated by certain uh, cancers, uh, certain chemos. And, No, what we do there is we look at everything holistically. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ed is also a very high level martial arts coach. And so we've really built the hospital around creating a fight camp, just like a fighter would go into an MMA fight. They need their team behind them, their coaches and everything. And so cancer patients are in the fight of their life. So for instance, we have mental coaching, we have a nutritionist and diet. Um, We have psychologists and then in martial arts, you know, if you're a wrestler and you're going to fight a karate guy, you need the best karate guy to teach you and you need the best anti-karate guy to teach you. So on our staff, we have uh, on regular oncologists, but okay. then we have homeopaths and we have a normal medical doctor MDs and then we have naturopaths. Mm-hmm. So uh, just like the early days of the UFC and MMA fighting, what fighters found was you keep what works and you throw away the rest. And so what we're able to do is look at all the years of data that we have and everything else that's out there. We have a very high level scientific advisory board and we can see what works in the conventional medicine, what works in alternative medicine, in natural medicine, which ones can work synergistically together and how can we create a treatment protocol for each individual patient Mm -hmm. that gives them the best chance to win their fight.
0: That's amazing. Do you guys treat like children or just adults?
1: Unfortunately, no. They have to okay. be over 18 because um, we are re- a research hospital uh, doing experimental medicine in Mexico. So,
0: okay. And that is, that's a label that Mexico gives yes. you. Yes. Okay. How do you get out of that label?
1: Um, what do you mean?
0: Well, like, how do you become not a research hospital?
1: Um, become a regular hospital, but then that defeats the whole purpose of what we're doing.
0: Okay. So, you yeah. and you guys intend to be constantly moving and trying something new and different.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't have the answer. We get great results, but they can always be better until every single patient that comes lives and gets a durable remission, then you know we're, we're not doing the best job that we can. So the yeah. goal is to do the best job that we can. As far as I know, nobody has the exact answer for cancer. No. <laughs> One very interesting thing I learned about cancer that I never knew. Um, so I had a friend of mine's uh, girlfriend come down and she was a uh, tri- triple negative breast cancer and literally sitting right next she was in her thirties.
0: What is triple negative? Mean?
1: It's a type of breast cancer. Okay. So, um, and basically uh, so two, two women sitting there with the same type of breast cancer. One's getting amazing results. The other one's not. Mm-hmm. And at the time we had an MD Anderson oncologist that had come down to work with us and was helping us out. And I asked him, I'm like, oh, does it doesn't make sense. I thought they both had the same type of breast cancer. And what he told me was Scott, Those are just categories of breast cancer. What you have to understand about cancer that's different than most any other disease is cancer is caused by a random mutation. Mm -hmm. So he asked me, do you ever play Dungeons and Dragons when you were a kid? I said, yes. And he said, you know, all those crazy weird shaped dice. And I said, sure. He goes, imagine you had 84 of them in your hand and you threw it out there onto the table. What's the chance that you throw those same 84 dice again and get all the exact same numbers. I said, almost nothing. And he said, that's exactly what we're dealing with cancer. So we're able to put cancer into different buckets to label them. Mm -hmm. But even inside a person's body, the cancer cells can mutate again. So what works the first time on cancer And this is why we always encourage our patients when you have cancer on the run, when you're beating it, when the tumors are shrinking, your markers are going down, you 100% have to stick all the way through until you get that last few cancer cells killed by your immune system. And so it's a lot like being in a fight. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a fight and you almost knock a guy out in round one and you're killing him with your overhand right, but the, the bell ends, the round ends before you finish him when you go when he goes back to his corner, the guy's going to say keep your left up, he's smashing you with a right. Round 2, chances are you're not going to land your right again the way you were in round 1. Yes. And that happens a lot with cancer patients, you know, we'll take a tumor, we'll shrink it down, we'll get them in really good health, and unfortunately they think they've done enough to win and they go back maybe to some of their bad habits and the cancer comes raging back.
0: Or they're terrified. You know. Is this well, right most people aren't
1: terrified when they get to this point. They're actually wow overconfident in that they've already got it beat and so they stop treatment maybe or they go back to their diet that they had or the same stressful job relationship wherever they were at that caused the cancer and it comes back when it comes back sometimes the treatments that were doing so well the overhand right doesn't work anymore and you're back at ground zero with a more aggressive cancer Mm. trying to figure out the new strategy to win
0: okay okay Wow. Oh, it hurts my heart. Do you feel like it is Chipsa having better rates of survival than most? treatment facilities in the United States.
1: I know nothing about the survival rates of different places in the United States. Um, What I can tell you is probably about 90% of my patients have done what's called failed standard of care. And that means that their oncologist or their doctor has thrown the kitchen sink at them. They can't find anything that works. uh, So they give up. And they kind of fire you maybe as a patient. Usually they're sent to hospice, given a big giant bottle of pain medicines and told to get their affairs in order. So the people who come down to us are two types of people. About 90% of them are that failed standard of care that Mm -hmm. don't want to give up the fight. They have something to live for. And about 10% of people who are people who get first diagnosed and say, I don't want to do chemo and radiation. That's not what I want to do. And they come to us immediately. Mm -hmm. Those tend to people, people we get the best results with because their immune system isn't shot from whatever therapies they've done um, before. And they're usually not as far along. Other people have tried two, three rounds, maybe more of chemo and different drugs, maybe even an immunotherapy um, at home, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't worked.
0: Yeah. That would be my fear. Like if I ended up with cancer, you know what you hear or what your doctor here would tell you is you need to go this route. And I think you might even find doctors or friends or family that would look at you like you were going crazy. If you're going to go to Tijuana and have your, everyone, almost
1: every one of my patients. Yeah. They, they always have somebody in their corner that's yelling at them. And the thing is in the United States, it's not that the doctors are bad. Um, There's a standard of care Mm -hmm. and they have to follow that standard of care. If they deviate out of that standard of care, then they, they have a lot to lose. Uh, Also, You know, people talk a lot about big pharma, but nobody really talks about big insurance. The insurance companies frequently from hospital to hospital, what they will approve and what is in that standard of care is the only tool in the toolbox that doctor gets. So, and it's usually not too big of a difference from hospital to hospital. So even if you're going to one of these big name, super famous cancer places, or you're going to your local oncology center, um, it's good to ask, you know, like what's your standard of care? And in my experience, again, I'm not a doctor, an expert really in this, just from talking to thousands of patients, it's, it's, it's all the same stuff very closely.
0: That's nuts. That seems crazy that we would allow insurance company to dictate what we're, the treatment that we're going to get because they may or may not cover it.
1: That's where we are.
0: So how do we fix that? Any ideas?
1: Well, you know, there's, um, There's a lot of uh, momentum, I would say, in -hmm. the system that we currently have. And uh, by momentum, I mean money, finances. So you know, people talk about changing the system. I think the only way to change the system is for the right people to get in it and redirect it. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine a giant raging river coming down uh, the mountain, it's a lot easier to divert it and turn it into a different direction than it is to dam it up and start a new river. Uh, So it's really about, um, you know, people becoming more aware and then people getting into those different fields that want to move things in a new direction. Uh, Unfortunately, it seems like in the United States, we're actually moving the opposite way. More and more naturopaths are being shut down with what they can administer and what they can do. Um, You know, I know recently a lot of compounding pharmacies have been outlawed to make certain uh, more natural uh, drugs. And uh, you know, the, the, you know, there's parts of, of pharma that are great, that do a lot of great work and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But other parts, unfortunately are very profit driven. And um, you know, it's just, the system is the way it is. I don't think that doctors go to med school to do to, you know, to be stuck in this position. They don't know, but they get out of med school, they get into a practice or they go work at a hospital and you know, rules are rules. You either do it this way and, and you can bill insurance and have a practice, or you can try to become a cash pay Practice, which a lot of doctors do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, if you're brand new starting out, good luck. You know, yeah. you have to get into the system, work the system. And uh, you don't know what the system really is until you, you get into it. So,
0: you get into it. Well, I think this goes right along with when um, the new insurance act came in, and a lot of doctors ended up retiring because they were forced to do even more things that were, you know, in line with the system or whatever. And they were just mm-hmm. like, I can't. And I just throw my hands up and be frustrated about it. Um, oh, it's so interesting because I was listening to another podcast recently where they were talking about big pharma and how they, they have these trials and they use third party companies to do the trials. But then when the data comes out, they are allowed to, or they are in charge of the data and they don't release it, but they'll do like a peer review of their own, like in-house to say mm-hmm. what happened in the trial. And then when that stuff goes to like a board of peer reviewed other doctors, they're not allowed to see the data from the research. They're only allowed to see the summary that big, big pharma gives them.
1: Sure. well, and also if, if the pharma, if the, if the company is your, your client, if you're the company doing the trials, If you don't do the trial the way that they want you to and stuff, then they're not going to hire you again.
0: Yeah. And when I've heard there's like millions of dollars in these trials, Mm -hmm. so it's not,
1: Oh, Oh, um, billions, a hundred millions. (laughs) You can't do a trial for a million dollars.
0: Oh my gosh. Not
1: even close.
0: So how do you, how do you not get frustrated with this on a daily basis?
1: Well, I mean, the work that I do at the hospital is, is much more patient focused, so I'm not really involved and and we're not bound by those same things. Our doctors have a lot of freedom with what they can, with what they can do. And um, we have a great scientific advisory board that, that can uh, support our doctors with brand new information and different sets of eyes on things. Uh, We tend to, we've learned to hire younger doctors that are eager to learn more what we want to do than what the system is. We, we, we have some of the older doctors that were at the hospital that have a lot of experience that were working in alternative stuff. But we found that if we find a doctor with 10, 15 years experience, they're so ingrained in what they've always done that they don't have that fresh set of eyes. So it's really, I mean, we have uh, doctors that have, you know, four years experience that oncologists that have come and visit us say, Oh, they they know more than I do, you know, like Mm -hmm. they have more hands on, uh, than we ever got a chance to learn.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's really common in a lot of industries. And in my in the beauty industry, I've always found that I always found that my younger, fresh out of school. I mean, were they going to make mistakes? Certainly, but they were always eager to learn from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but like ninety percent of them, they they were go getters. They want if they didn't do it right the first time, they wanted to go out and seek the information to do it right the second time. And my last pod uh, podcast guest um, worked in home sales for some of the national companies. And he said the same thing, his favorite, his favorite people to manage were the fresher, newer, like just want to go out there and get it. Right. Personalities. So it doesn't surprise me at all that it would be like kind of across the board, the same. I don't
1: know. It's uh. The, the young, the young bucks, they, they want to learn. They're eager to learn and they're learning the newest, newest stuff. So again, I always talk about our scientific advisory board because we're really blessed that we have doctors who are from all over the world that appreciate what we're doing so much that they do their all to support us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they're always feeding us with new information, new stuff that's going on. And we do, we have older doctors, um, Dr. Escobedo, who's my medical director, is 40-something-plus years experience. Um, He's an internal medicine specialist, and he used to be the head medical director for the largest public hospital in Tijuana. So he's seen it all. Oh, yeah. And he oversees all of them. And so they always have somebody that has a lot of experience to fall back on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, every Tuesday we have a meeting at our hospital where – all of the doctors get together and literally mastermind about every single patient. Uh, if we have previous patients who uh, are going through something new or, or want more information, have gotten new testing, they review that. But uh, as Napoleon Hill says, you know, the mastermind principle, uh, The power of two brains is more like three. You get 18, 20 doctors in a room that all have different experiences. You know, some are oncologists, some are homeopaths, some are naturopaths, some are MDs. And so you get all of those different brains working together on one case with the freedom uh, to not have to worry about, uh, you know, insurance or anything like that uh, to do what, if they see something that's working, do more of it. They see something's not working. There's no need to do it uh, and to look for new things.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming that this is not something you did prior to being a founder of Chipsa. No, not so at all. So what, what, one, what did you do before that? And two, like, what is the most profound thing you've found doing this work?
1: Okay. Um, so before Chipsa, I was really involved in the martial arts, uh, mm-hmm. I turned that off of already before. Um, so before Chipsa, uh, I was in the martial arts world. Uh, I was around the UFC in the very early days of the UFC. Uh, I trained with the Gracie family doing jujitsu, black belt and jujitsu. And, um, I had a few clothing brands, uh, and, uh, online businesses around martial arts, uh, jujitsu, MMA, UFC type stuff, um, did it. Did that for a long, long time. Got started uh, before anybody knew really what it was. 95, 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the oldest, live, you know, still up in existence um, martial arts website on the internet, on matcom It's still there. Oh. Don't do as much with it since I'm doing the cancer stuff. Um, oh. but. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I did a lot of marketing in that and I do a lot of work with a lot of the marketing, the patient acquisition at the hospital, along with Ed um, and, and Jason also uh, helps us out there. Uh, we're all martial arts guys, you know, so we, we take that same idea and premise of how you get a student to come in and join your gym. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing I always loved about martial arts was that I could bring any one of my friends there and whatever they had going on in their life, there's something about being on the mat that gets it out. And so if, you know, if you had confidence issues, well, you spent, you know, a year training martial arts. And the first time some big guy comes in that you think <laughs> would normally wipe your ass yeah. <laughs> and you, and you whoop their ass, then you get confidence. You're like if you're overweight, you lose weight. You know, like when you're you training confidence. hard, yeah. you get confidence, right? So you, you have to put as one thing we learned with, you know, a lot of doctors say it doesn't matter where you, where you eat. I always say, okay, great. Let you pound a soda. I'm going to pound a water and let's go run stairs and see who feels better. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Um, we really, you know, we've really taken a lot of that martial arts idea, mm-hmm. um, the move like water type of idea. And, and when there's obstacles, you, you get around it and you find solutions. Jiu-jitsu is a very, very technical martial art mm-hmm. and it works for every different type of body style. It's considered by most people the best one for women to train because it's not reliant on strength. It's reliant on technique and position. Okay. And so, you know, that's, that's what I doing. I, I'd moved down to Brazil. I trained and competed in Brazil for years and I dedicated my life to that. Uh, Ed came along and, um, he told me about this project that he was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I was living in LA. He said, I need to drive down to Tijuana and meet the owner of this hospital. You want to go with me?
0: You're like, why not? Let's "Let's go. go. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we drove down there in Tijuana (laughs) and,
1: um, you know, you don't have to see too many people uh, come in in a wheelchair and leave walking uh, to shift your, your your gears. You know, I still love jujitsu. I'm still involved, um, but I did. I the thing I love about both of them is is that's a chance to change lives. You mm-hmm. know, and in the hospital, we're literally pulling people out of the grave. It used to be. I remember we were talking about this not like maybe a year ago. Uh, you know, when, when somebody would get out of a wheelchair and walk and like get that back, it was like, oh my God, like, Ooh, praise the Lord, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now it happens so frequent. You're like, okay, great. Like, hey, you know what I mean? Happy
0: Tuesday. So, yeah. um, well, that's a good thing to have happening so yeah. often.
1: Um, as far as like, God, I'm trying to think what the most profound things are. Um, I'll tell you one of them that's an interesting one, and it's around faith. Okay. And so, um, you know, having been there literally like in the last seconds, the last minutes, the last wow. hours of so many different people's lives, I work on the floor with the patients myself, uh, myself and Sarah Peterson. We teach a class there called Power of the Mind, uh, where, where we work on coaching and focusing the mind, meditation and goal setting, things like that um, for the patients, a lot like we would do for a, a martial arts person, for a fighter. And, um, I really started to realize, you know, I I grew up Christian, you know, but didn't really ever go to church or Mm -hmm. anything like that. I really started to notice the difference between somebody who had a very strong faith and somebody who didn't. And the, the calmness, the, the okayness with their own passing, the difference between somebody who had and, I, and, it does, and, not, and, I, and we've had every different faith come down there, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, just it's just believing in a higher and, and power. believing in a higher power gives them power in those final moments of their life, whether it's a month, a week, a day, an hour, a minute, that the person who doesn't have that faith doesn't have. And, and so spending so much time with all, I love my patients. I love, there's nothing I like more than going to the cafeteria, sitting down at lunch with them or Mm -hmm. sharing a meditation with them, teaching the class, just going to their rooms and checking in on them. Unfortunately, we have patients that come alone. They don't have a companion that can come with them. Mm -hmm. So I spend more time with those people. And, um, that's probably one of the, one of the craziest things for me to just like really start to put that together. Um, and then also that same MD Anderson oncologist that came to work with us uh, share with me uh, a very similar experience for himself. And he actually wrote a book about it. And that's, he said, you know, you know, imagine being an oncologist for 30 years and pretty much 100% of your patients die, right? Like maybe oh, 97, yeah. 3% make it. And over and over again, you're losing these people. And that was something that he really, um, that he took away from too. He's like, Oh, funny. You should say that. I wrote a book about it, you know, like a a very similar thing. So, um, that's probably one of the more profound things. And the the other one is really the power, actual power of the mind. Um, our original medical director that opened the hospital with Charlotte Gerson back in the day, he's since retired. Um, you know, he told me very, uh, very early on in working in the hospital, he said, I can tell in the first 30 minutes whether or not a patient has a chance to make it. I was like, Really? he said, yes, you know, he goes, it just, it really, you know, depended upon their mentalness. Like if they were a fighter and they were mentally prepared to fight because they're going to see some of their worst days before they get better, Yeah, all the detox and everything that they got to do uh, first week is usually hell for, for patients. Uh, but then it gets better. And the ones that don't have that mental fortitude to fight through it, he said he could tell spot right away. Can you tell them? Um, y- yes. And what I, from, from. Doing that, what I've learned how to do is I make that my goal. I make that oh. my goal to figure out how to coach them to be a fighter. So I was never a dominant cruise or any one of these guys. Like, you know, I fought in the worlds once, you know, it didn't win. Um, and it, I have a funny story about that. I'll share, I share with the patients, but, um, I have been in a lot of fights. I fought in a lot of tournaments. I've been around high, high level guys to see where their mental game is And so in developing this power of the mind class with Sarah Peterson and Robin helped us a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, I really look for, I really look for that. Like, do they have this fighter mindset now? You know, fighters, it's something you can be trained to do. Are they open to being trained into it? And then, um, Ed gave me a book called, uh, I might butcher this, but I think it's man's search for meaning. Um, Vic, is it Victor Hugo? I Uh, feel like
0: I've heard about this book. The book uh. is
1: a basically about a psychologist that was in a concentration camps in Nazi Germany Yes, and to keep his patients, his, his fellow prisoners from committing suicide. He basically it boiled down to, he had to figure out one of two things, either who they had to get out of this concentration camp to see or what they absolutely had to finish uh, in their lives, a project mm-hmm. or something like that. And he literally would keep notes hidden inside of his, prison uniform so that when he saw a fellow prisoner slipping and he thought they might want to take their own life, then he would knew he could go over and say, what about your daughter? Your daughter's oh. waiting. And that would snap him out of So he would find those trigger points. So that's what I spend a lot of my time in my class doing and finding out from patients. Now, patients who have children, it's always a lot easier, but the ones that don't, not, not necessarily as much, but even if it's just the children, well, what else is important to you? So we had a patient that came down to our hospital and um, his name was Ryan. If I showed you a picture of what he looked like when he first came in, I literally had to turn my eyes away from him because I thought for sure this guy's going to die in the hospital. Oh, no. um, but I spent some time with him. I got to know him and I found out what his why was, right? His why. And it was, I want to walk my daughter um, down the aisle. Oh. And so R- Ryan spent quite a bit of time with us and he had to come back because he had a relapse. He actually ate a burrito. He thought he was better, ate a burrito and it almost killed him. And, um, so on days when he didn't want to do his treatments you know, they're rough, these treatments are rough for people. Uh, I would literally, like one day I literally opened the door and I said, Hey, oh, cool. I heard you're not doing your treatments. So, um, what do you, do you want me to walk your daughter down the aisle? What should I tell her? Like why you're not there? And he got so mad. He, you know, our patients drink juices, you know, fresh, fresh juices and whipped the juice at me at the door. He missed, you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. he was so pissed, but he started doing his treatments again. And so what i what I really work to find out with my patients is what's your, why wow. I have them write it down, tell the other patients, post it on the internet, make a declaration, tell everybody, you know what it is so that when you're on that rough day, mm-hmm. if I'm not there or somebody is there, they can say, Hey, who's going to walk your daughter down the aisle, you know? Yeah. And, and that helps. It's the same thing in fighting, you know, when you're, when you're get in a fight camp, you're getting, if you're in a fight camp to win your fight, you got to get beat up every day. And it's, it's easy to want to quit. But do you want to be champ or not? A good yeah. coach is going to get in your face and <laughs> say, like, what are you well, doing? You know, you want to quit? Then quit. What was the whole point? Why did you even take the fight? Just give up now, you know, quit. And it's the same exact thing. These cancer patients are in the fight of their life and they need coaches.
0: Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about that is it wasn't like you sat down and you're like, well, don't you want to walk to your daughter down the aisle? Like you made it very matter of fact for him.
1: Oh, I screamed in his face. Like yeah.
0: how many people would do that?
1: Well, we joke about it now. I still we, we I still work with yeah. Ryan. I'm friends with him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's like, hey, man. He's like, sorry I threw that juice at you. I'm like, I'm not sorry at all. <laughs>
0: Look at where you're at. You're yeah. alive.
1: You don't have cancer anymore. So if you would have gave
0: up that day. Yeah. Well, and so did he walk his daughter down the aisle? Not, not yet. Yeah, she's enough. not
1: old enough. Yeah. Oh, my yeah.
0: gosh. So He's got a ways to go. Even. He has
1: plenty of time to live. Well,
0: yeah. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome that you would do that. I think that I I feel like a lot of people, especially around sensitive topics like that death in particular will tiptoe around things instead Mm. of just,
1: there's no tiptoeing around death. It happens all the time in our hospital. Like I'll never forget the first woman who died in our hospital. She had brain cancer. It was a a horrendous story where a guy lured her out of the hospital, told her that we misdiagnosed her. I don't even know if he was a real doctor or left her in a motel uh, to die. The motel somehow figured out to call us that she was our patient They were like, hey, this woman hasn't eaten. She's like going to the bathroom all over the bed. We got an ambulance over there. But unfortunately, like she was just too far gone and she had a very, very painful, imagine a tumor inside your skull, like basically pushing on your brain till you die type of death. And, uh, whew, boy, I got drunk that night and I don't even drink. You know, like it was rough. It was a really rough one. Um, And every one of them is still very, very rough. But, you know, the first ones, uh, when the, you're there in the room, when somebody dies, it's a different feeling, you know, it's a different thing. It's a, yeah, for me, I just feel like worthless, like a God, there, there has to have been something we could have done. You know, there just, there had to have been something that we missed. You know, it's a lot of, a, I used to beat myself up a lot more about it. I'm not even a doctor, but yeah. I just, you know, I just really felt like, you know, had there had to have been something that we could have done.
0: Yeah. I've, um, maybe I have a very morbid idea of death, but I kind of, I just feel like, this probably goes into my own faith. I just feel like my day is already decided and it doesn't matter if I'm in an airplane or like have cancer or Mm -hmm. if I'm parasailing or diving with sharks, like it's going to be my day. Um, but yeah, I can imagine that feeling like,
1: I mean, I feel the same way. I've been in seven motorcycle wrecks. So seven, if it was supposed to be my day, it would already been my day. Right. Right? So, um, and, 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 and and going back to the faith thing, you know, I, we had um, a family that was down there and the mom died. It was a very large family. I, be, I believe I might be wrong, but I believe they were Mormon. Mm-hmm. And um, God, it seemed like we had gotten her so close to doing better, but cancer is crazy. Right. And mm-hmm. just very quickly, she, um, she passed away and I uh, was sitting there with, like I became very close with the husband and, and the family. And uh, you know, I apologized to the guy. I said, man, I'm so sorry. And he said, I don't know why you're apologizing to me. He's like, God picked this day.
0: He goes, Mm -hmm. if you would
1: have gotten all of her cancer out and today was her day and she was being discharged, she might've walked out in the street and got hit by a bus. Yeah. And just his calmness and how like he was so okay with it, it really took me back and and made me kind of like rethink things, um, you know, quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I think I've said this to other people before and maybe even to my listeners that like I've had two cousins die very tragically and they were scenarios where it was just like, it was just the right situation. Yep. And I'm like, that either makes you think that everything is by chance or everything is by design. And I just choose to believe that it's all by design.
1: I believe it's a choice too. Yeah.
0: So going back to your faith on it, like, do you feel like that has changed how much, how spiritual you are?
1: Well, I mean, I still don't really go to church or anything like that. Um, I think I look more at meditation as prayer Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it, it, it really kind of, mm, it made me, it made me more of a believer. Um, I mean, my ego is not so big to think that humans are the most evolved thing in the entire universe. Right. So mm-hmm. huh, God, I hope not. Uh, I was a pretty dumb humans out there, are, myself yeah. included. Um, so, um, uh, I think I've always been a little spiritual, but pretty spiritual and, um, you know, I always joke around. I'm, I'm like more like a star Wars guy, God guy. I, I believe in the force. I believe in karma, mm-hmm. you know, those type of things, reincarnation, reincarnation. Yeah. Probably reincarnation is one too. Um, I, but I just, I mean, really more, it's just like, I, I have a better, I don't want to say feeling. I have more evidence of the power of faith. It it could still be completely fake and made up, but you know, what's, what superstitions, you know, aren't, I, I've been in three wrecks on Friday, the 13th. One of them almost killed me for the longest time. You get in three life threatening wrecks on Friday, the 13th. You start waking up on Friday, the 13th. And you say, maybe I should stay home today.
0: <laughs> I think I would, <laughs> you crap. know, so
1: like, uh, you, you know, is that, but what is that? Right. You know what I mean? Is it really yeah. just Friday the 13th or was it just coincidence yeah. that I happened to be in these wrecks and they were on Friday, the 13th. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I know my brain made up for a long time. Like, oh, damn, there's a Friday the 13th. We're this not doing month.
0: anything today. We're staying to make home. Make sure I'm not flying anywhere.
1: I'm not doing anything on that particular day, you know, so.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. So. Sorry, I'm like, I feel like I'm so fascinated by all of this. So if you had to pick one of the treatments that you do or one of the ways of living that you teach in the hospital to tell to a patient in the United States, who's maybe not ready to make the leap to come down to Tijuana and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever, what would that be?
1: You know what I would say to anybody. And I say this to people all the time. And we tell our, we tell people like, even if you don't come to Chipsa, whatever treatment you are doing, believe in it. 100%. If you make a decision to take a treatment path, believe in it. 100% power of the mind Mm -hmm. and follow it through all the way till your doctor tells you you're done. Okay. So I see a lot of patients that get on Dr. Google and they, you know, let's face it. And especially nowadays in the internet, yeah, I can, uh, I can find proof that the earth is flat and I can find proof <laughs> that the earth is round. You know what yeah, I'm you saying? Can, so you can read it all. You can read it all. Exactly. And so the, what I would say is to, um, is to really, Follow, believe in it and follow it all the way through. And don't listen to what other people say, like follow your heart, follow your gut on it. The other thing I would say is make sure that your brain understands what your goals are. Okay. So
0: find out from, I'm gonna, Mm -hmm. I
1: explain this to people all the time. Find out from your doctor. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how will, what, what's my goal? Is it no evidence of disease? Um, if I have prostate cancer, do I need to get to a certain PSA level Whatever that goal is, get that goal in your mind, write it in your journal, print it out. We put goals on the wall, on the patients. We do power of the mind class where everybody tells out loud what their goal is. And we write it on a big white easel. So everybody knows what their goal is. The mind I've learned and and anybody successful can tell you this is like, it's very good at figuring out how to get you where you want to go. But if you don't know where you want to go, Your mind goes all over the place. So that's the first thing. Figure out like what, you know, what's your long term, no evidence of disease, remission, whatever your goal is on your health. Figure that out, stick to it, get it in your mind. Mm -hmm. The next thing is make plans after that. Okay. So make sure that you have plans to create after that, whatever that looks like, you know. So, hey, after I have no evidence of disease, I am going to have the hugest family reunion ever possible and figure that out and make those plans. Again, the mind is so powerful, right? If the mind gives up, the body will for sure. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that if you are 100% focused, "Mm," you do all your meditations, everything, your journaling, I'm going to live, that you're necessarily 100%. But I promise you, I have never seen a cancer patient be successful who wasn't 100% committed understood their goals and had the discipline to create a way to get to that goal. But we got to look past that, right? You got to look even further out. What's the trip that you always wanted to do? What is that? You know, make those plans concrete in your mind and, and really do and do those things. So the mind is super powerful. There are people that get placebo drugs on clinical trials that read what the side effects are and get the side effects.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: It's called mm-hmm. nocebo, right? Mm-hmm. So if the mind can give you the negative side effects, what can it do on the positive?
0: I feel right? like some women will do this when they're trying to get pregnant. Like, do my boobs hurt? Am I like, is my stomach getting bigger? Like I what, do I have a headache. Is that, and they'll like make their body think that they're pregnant and then they'll take a test and they're not same thing. Yeah. I actually feel like this would work for a lot of, um, a lot of different things like losing weight or getting, well, it's goal you setting, go. you know, yeah. it's goal
1: setting. So, I trained jujitsu for a lot of years and um, I screwed up my goals, you know. So, I had for a long time uh, I wanted to fight in the world championships and I journaled and I did goals and it was, you know, get to the worlds, get to the worlds, get well, I got to the worlds, I didn't win the worlds. But my whole goal was after I came back and my coach helped me, like, you know, okay, what happened to your fights? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Well, well you know, what was your goal? Well, I never never once in five years did I journal, win the world championships. It was get to the world championships. Well, I got oh. to the world championships, made it to the second round. Woo. You know, what? it got my ass whooped. Uh so again, like my goal, I'm not saying if I would have journaled, because I'm not that good. I'm pretty good. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm not that good. Uh, but I'm not saying but I think I would have had a better chance, you know yeah. what I mean? If, you know, the eye was on the, what the real prize was, not, you know, just to get there. Yeah, I got there. Woohoo. Right? But it would have been nice to get a nice gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal, yeah. stand on a podium, nice picture, something any of like the medals, that. Any of but the medals. I didn't do any of that. So, uh, that's something I always share with my patients because um it's so important to set those goals and have that goal
0: You said you had a funny story about the worlds.
1: That was it. I just told you
0: that was it. Yeah. My I like it. it. Yeah, yeah. You didn't get quite get there cause you had stopped it.
1: Well, I just realized, I mean, I accomplished my goal, get to fight in the worlds. I made it to the worlds. I would have got one match. I would, I would have accomplished my goal. Yeah. But who knows if I had spent five years focusing on winning the worlds and making that my goal, maybe I would have won a couple more fights. Maybe. I don't know. You know, were you scared? Yeah. I was nervous. Super nervous. Of course. Yeah. I was in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in a giant sweaty auditorium. I didn't speak the language and yeah.
0: What is it? What kind of discipline does it take to get to the worlds?
1: Well, luckily as a, as an American gringo, you don't have to be as good as if you're from Brazil or one of the countries that's really, you know, the competition, especially this was so many years ago. Um, the competition was a lot less, uh, to get there. Um, in that sense, but now, I mean, it's become such a huge sport and so big. I mean, you got to be a super athlete. So, not only do you need the the, the genetics, um, and the you need the genetics and the work ethic and the coaching and the skills uh, mm-hmm. to get there. It's a super high level sport at this point.
0: Do you miss competing? Uh,
1: um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I miss training and stuff a lot, but. You know, competing is very taxing on the brain and on the life, and, and I had a really good run of time. I uh, did really well when I competed in the U.S. and okay when I was in uh, in in Brazil. Um, but you have to be obsessed with it. You know, you really have to be obsessed with it, and that has to be it. And uh, in some ways, it took the fun out of it. You ah. know, when you when you can't eat what you want, and you got to watch your weight, and you have to train, and you have to cross train, and all of those different things, it becomes very obsessed. And, and at the time when I was doing it, I was very obsessed with it. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, as my body became broken down and injured, um, I got less, you know, less excited about it. Um, also when I moved back from Brazil, I was broke. I was living on my friend, Henry Aiken's couch at his house for a while, trying to figure out what my next moves were and stuff. And, you know, I had an epiphany one day I said, you know, God, if I would have just taken, a you know, of the time I spent obsessed with jujitsu and and fighting and all that stuff and put it into making money. I actually have some money in my bank account. So I was sleeping on my friend's couch, trying to figure out how to scrape up some money to pay for lunch yeah, yeah, stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I don't miss the the being broke part of it and that, but I mean, that's part of the, that's part of the game back then. I didn't care. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I, if I uh, could scrape up enough money out of the couch to get the calories I needed to train the next day, then I was happy.
0: Do you feel like most fighters live that life?
1: Yes, they all do
0: until they make it big. Yes. If they make it big. Yeah. Are your chances of being a fighter, like similar to your chance of being a football player or even less? You think, Ooh,
1: I don't know. I mean, there's, there's more, um, football players than there That's are world true. champions. Um, but there's a lot more people probably trying to become uh football players, but the fight game has gotten to where, Uh, you know, just like football, you, you, you gotta be the whole package. You got to have the drive, the genetics, the technique, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things uh, to get there.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So you've owned, so you've gone to the world championship for jujitsu. You now own this cancer hospital. You have a platform about jujitsu. You have, you have had um, marketing and, t-shirt companies you said
1: yeah so clothing ma- manufacturing companies. clothing companies and equipment companies yeah. what else do you do um well we have a stem cell lab a compounding pharmacy uh, never thought i'd own two pharmacies in my life you know if you if i was gonna be a drug dealer i would have thought of some, <laughs> some other type of drug dealer quite frankly
0: what is a compounding uh, pharmacy
1: well you know at Chipsa hospital we make uh, almost all of our own drugs in house wow um, that uh, one lowers the price uh, for the patients and uh, two, it really controls our quality. So, um, and it allows us to make customized treatments. So we make uh, customized vaccines for our patients. Uh, They'll take a piece of a tumor Mm -hmm. um, and from that tumor uh, they can create different types of uh, vaccines. Uh, One's called a dendritic cell vaccine. Those are the cells in your blood that will uh, attack the cancer. And so they can, You know, I'm not an expert on the process. I don't run the pharmacies. I own them. You know what I mean? I'm just here. uh, I hire smart people. I'm not one. Um, So, you know, they kill the tumor, put it in some blood, see what attacks the blood, take those cells, do what's called expand them out, which is almost like growing them. So to where there's billions of them and then re-inject them in the body. Uh, Of course, since it's custom, their tumor, their blood, there's no rejection. And that allows the body to rev up those dendritic cells Um, there's another one's called tumor lysate vaccines. Uh, so not all vaccines are evil and, um, and uh, yeah, it's funny. Some, some people call me anti-vaxxer. I'm like, well, you know, my business partner wrote four cancer vaccine patents. Like You're we right. administer vaccines I, every day at my hospital just cause I don't think I need a COVID vaccine. I already had COVID. Now I'm an anti-vaxxer, you know, like, I
0: feel the same way. Uh, uh, uh-huh.
1: Interesting. You know, mm-hmm. like, okay. You know, I mean, if I don't like pintos, I'm an anti-car, <laughs> you know, I like nice cars. What can I say? You know, <laughs> uh,
0: I might be anti-pinto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Man, it's just so okay. So you create these vaccines for the tumors. Anything else you do?
1: As far as compounding, I mean, we make yeah, we just make all you know. There's certain drugs, of course, that we buy over the counter and stuff like that. But like all the customizing, a lot of the lot of the vaccine, a lot of the vaccines, a lot of like like vitamin C and stuff like that that we use uh, at the ho- hospital, we we make it ourselves.
0: What are the most common questions you get from somebody who's looking at coming to your hospital for treatment?
1: can you cure my cancer? Right. You're like, (laughs) no, legally I can't cure anyone's cancer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, people ask, you know, what, you know, what we do and and how we do it. Um, you know, people are tend to look for the silver bullet in things. Mm -hmm. They don't very rarely did somebody very quickly get cancer. It's lifestyle decisions over time, uh, that allow the cancer to, um, grow and Mm -hmm. take shape, take form in, in our bodies. And, um, you know, people don't realize that, uh, as far as I know, there's no silver bullet. There's no pill, no shot, no anything like that that just makes cancer vanish. It takes a lifestyle change. Um, we do a lot of mental and emotional work. You know, when we when we're uh, in the past, depressed, holding on to anger, uh, it changes the chemistry of our body. And uh, when we're in the future and anxious and worried about the future, it changes the chemistry in our body. So it's very. Important for us to, you know, find out, well, what are you grieving about? Who are you angry at? Like, what's going on? Let's get this Mm -hmm. out of our our system. Uh, We use some similar things that, uh, you know, we do in Discovery or Breakthrough uh, at Choice Center, like little ones uh, with our patients and um,
0: forgiveness and
1: forgiveness and gratitude and just, Mm -hmm. you know, getting, you know, just getting it off, getting it out of there.
0: Shifting a mindset.
1: Shifting a mindset, exactly.
0: I feel like this day and age in society, we have this very victim mentality,
1: especially in these last few years.
0: Huh? Uh, it's been rough. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you think, but for me, sometimes like I just want to live my life again and I feel helpless. Like mm-hmm. I can't, like I'm not allowed to or something. Um, and sometimes it's based on what I want to do. Like I love cruising is my favorite form of travel And because my children aren't vaccinated, they can't go. So we don't go. Um, But it's my unwind because I I was, I was telling another guest I had like my, my favorite thing to do is be on a cruise ship, looking out into the open ocean with no land in sight and Mm -hmm. realizing like how puny I am in this world. And it actually makes me feel good. Yeah. Like it's like a relief. I could see that. And so not being able to do that because somebody's, Not allowing me to, although I rationalize that like, this is my choice. I'm choosing not to be able to do that. It's hard.
1: Well, I mean, it's, you're, you're, I, I, you're not choosing not to go on the cruise. You're choosing something else, right? You've you've chosen not to vaccinate your uh, children for COVID. Um, So it's, I think it's a little different than, it's not a direct choose to do, you know, what you want to do is go on a cruise with your kids. Yeah. But because you've made this other choice that choice has now been cut off from you.
0: Yeah. Like, yes, it's yeah. affecting and that feels helpless and I've got some control issues.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's a lot of the world is going through this. And you, you talk about victims, you know, we have a saying it's uh, you know, a victim can't be the victor. Uh, right. So there's no, if you're, if, if you're waiting on the uh, referee to win the fight for you, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you, if you, you got to take the fight into your own hands and make sure that you are the victor.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're
1: complaining of being a victim, oh, I got a point taken away or oh, this or that. Hey, you got a cheap shot in. You're never going to win. Yeah, no. Right. So.
0: Yeah. And I just, I wonder like what it would take to get people to, I guess, stop being a victim and start being a victor in our society. I just feel like we're stuck. I feel like suicide's on the rise. I feel like mental health is on the rise. Like, and you were, you, I bringing this up because you were talking about mentality is so important Mm -hmm. and like, maybe we have a pandemic of mentality issues. You
1: know, I, I feel like, um, wherever this, whomever or whatever has control of this propaganda machine is teaching people that they're victims. It, It allow, if you allow someone to, or promote someone to be a victim, then the responsibility is taken away from them. And they don't have mm-hmm. to. They don't have to like take ownership of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, I can own up that I didn't win the worlds, or I can say, oh, well, it was in Brazil. the The referees weren't fair, and this bad. I lost points on this call and that call. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it's the same thing, you know. I I feel like you know, right now in America, successful people are. Being punished, looked down upon, you know, like, oh, you're successful. And the idea that if somebody else to become successful took something away from you, you know, it's like, uh-huh. no, you have the chance to listen. I've lived all over the world, the Middle East, Europe, South America, all over the world nowhere that I've ever been does a person have more chance to be successful than in the United States. Why do you think people are caravanning up here by the thousands? You know, if it was so great in other countries, you know, then there would, they would just stay, they would just stay there. But, um, there seems to be like this new, I, you know, I, I, I think it, I, are you ever read a book called everybody gets a trophy? No, everyone deserves a trophy. Everyone gets a trophy. And it just talked about this new mindset that's being taught, uh, you know, in schools where you know, you shouldn't have to work hard to win to get the trophy, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. You're just setting people up for failure. You know, you get out of school, like you think it's going to be easy. You know, yeah. you think you're going to get a promotion just because you sat at the desk long enough, you know, or you think you're going to become an entrepreneur and open a business. Someone's just going to pass you a loan, give you a free place to rent, you know, like whatever it looks like. You got to go out there and fight for for what you want. You know, you got to go look for your your victory. And if, if you're stuck in victim mentality, Oh, the taxes are too high. Oh, that mm-hmm. client didn't pick me. Oh, you know, like you have to ask yourself, well, why didn't you get picked? You know? Like, yeah. And if you don't, if you don't, if you look at it as their fault for not picking you, you're never going to get the next client. Right. That makes if sense. we don't look and say, Oh, okay, where'd I screw up? What can I fix? What can I change? That's victor. Uh, mentality a victim is I've done nothing wrong. Everything should be handed to me. This should be easy.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm not sure exactly where that is getting taught to people or are told to people, but, um, they're not making any winners. <laughs> <It> sure. <laughs> seems like there's a lot more losers rolling around these oh, days than winners. Man. You know?
0: Yeah. It, it kind of feels like that. And and then sometimes I feel like maybe I'm also just kind of disconnected. Like I feel like society has taken leaps and bounds that maybe have only happened in a year or two. Whereas when I was younger, it maybe took 10 years for the same thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, am I just missing something here? Like, um, and a lot of it has to do with social media, um, and how quickly information gets out and like the type of jobs that there are versus the type of jobs that there used to be. But yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that, but
1: well, I can finish it off for you. You know, whoever convinced people that, being an entrepreneur means that you create a fake Insta life to try to get people to pay you, and to do continue to be a fake Insta life is that's that's part of it right there. I meet so many young people, and they're so concerned. First of all, if you're dependent upon Instagram for your business or Amazon or Facebook or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you don't have a business. They have a business, but you don't have a business. If they delete your profile where'd your business go Or
0: they block you which is happening to a lot whatever of whatever it is yeah mm-hmm. whatever
1: it is they you don't own your so i used to work i used to have a pretty good amazon business selling stuff on amazon but then they changed their terms then i had a period over the pandemic where stuff wasn't selling they're like oh you're not selling enough of these martial arts geese. so we're just gonna throw them all in the trash you know like what you know what i mean i'll pay the storage nope sorry out they go you know so i didn't wow. have a business Amazon had a business and I worked for Amazon, so I don't sell on Amazon really anymore like I used to. I used to try to have, and I know people with very successful Amazon businesses, but they're not their business. So this whole entire influencer entrepreneurship to me, it's just like people don't really know that much about how business works because Mm -hmm. you're basically renting space in somebody else's storefront to sell your fake life to the rest of the world, but you're renting it. And you don't even have somewhere else to move your business to. If my warehouse closes down, there's a lot of other warehouses I could go rent. But mm-hmm. if your million follower Instagram page goes down, where do you go? Yeah. How do you get your customers back? You don't even have their emails. You don't have their phone numbers. You don't have any way to contact them. And on top of that, you're not even a real person when you're on there. You're not being yourself. You're all filtered up. You live in this fake lifestyle for most people that I see doing this. and and it's cool. and it And it's gone. It could be gone like... In an instant, it's gone.
0: Yeah. Well, and what's crazy too is I think um, I think influencers are are how do I want to say this? I feel like they're looking at YouTube or Instagram or whatever as as YouTube is doing something for them. Mm-hmm. But what they don't realize is when they get bigger, they're actually serving YouTube, and not just as an employee, but as a money maker. Oh yeah. So now you're paying YouTube or Instagram or whatever to be on it, or maybe you're not paying for it and it's just part of your gig, but you're paying for the advertising or whatever you're doing mm-hmm. and you're feeding the beast. Oh yeah. It's so weird.
1: It's new normal.
0: Yeah. I've never thought about it like that before, but thank you for sharing that perspective. Cause it, it's kind of a
1: little delusional. It's very delusional, you know, and it's, you know, the amount of people that like really try to pump that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Like people think being this influencer is this end all type of position or something to be in. And, uh, quite frankly, you know, like, are you really looking at this with an entrepreneur's mind without, you know, and the answer is no, you know, now could it supplement another business. Sure. Mm-hmm. If you have a product, if you have something else that you're selling, but when all you do is, you know, Post filtered pictures in front of somebody else's car for likes in hopes that another company will pay you money to post their stuff in the same feed. To me, that's not really a business.
0: <laughs> well, it it almost feels a little bit maybe like modeling. Like once your looks are gone, your Instagram is gone. But maybe it's not necessarily just age. It's like the time or the car or the whatever mm-hmm. or. Facebook decides they don't like. Well, what at least you said, with modeling, so.
1: like I can uh, go on, and if if one modeling agency drops me, I got a few other words that I can go to. If I'm not, you know, if, if Gucci doesn't want me this season, I can go to Chanel, yeah. you know, something like that. But like with Instagram, Facebook, like you know, when you're gonna go from Instagram to Twitter. Yeah, you know,
0: <laughs> two like, different platforms. You know,
1: at least when I model, I have my entire tear sheet of all the work that I've done and all my photos and stuff. When my Instagram account disappears, which I know people this has happened to, that. Well, I don't get to take my followers with me. I can't download their information mm-hmm. or anything like that.
0: Well, and Instagram is owned by Facebook. So if you're kicked off one, you kicked off the other. Yep. Well, and their demographic of who they serve is completely different too. Fascinating. Hmm. How, do you, how does Chipset advertise?
1: Uh, everywhere we can. So, um, Facebook is Instagram is definitely one of them, but they've become terrible platforms to yeah. uh, advertise on. We have a good uh, network of referrals where we get referrals. Um, one of the things that's nice is if you save someone's life and they're healthy and they do good, they tend to tell a lot of people about it for sure. Uh, so <laughs> we get a lot of referrals, um, that way, um, you know, doing that. Uh, but you know, we, we just market wherever it's affordable for us to do whether it's Google, YouTube, you know, and we, mm-hmm. and we try to spread it across all of them. Uh, we try not to be too reliant on anyone.
0: Yeah. That's kind of what sucks that I'm noticing. Even when I own my, uh, uh, my salon is you almost, unless you are entirely referral based, you almost can't get business unless you are on these platforms.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yelp, all those, it's frustrating. And, you know, it's, if you if you're an entrepreneur out there, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be in business for yourself, um, you better learn how to sell and market. Mm-hmm. Because I don't care, you can. Uh, uh, Lloyd Irvin, one of our mentors, uh, always says um, that. what uh, what is it? Uh, good marketing can sell a non-existent product. Bad marketing can't give away free gold. I might have butchered his words a couple, but, but that basically that's the entire idea. So. Uh, that was something uh, luckily I've kind of naturally been a salesperson my whole life. I bought my first bicycle by selling uh door to door greeting cards and <laughs> saved up money awesome. for two. For two <laughs> so my dad wouldn't buy me a bike. So all right, how am I going to make money? Oh, I found this thing. Oh, I can carry around this booklet of cards and people can order custom Christmas cards and holiday cards. And I literally went door to door and bugged all my parents' friends until they bought stuff. And I used to sell Cutco knives and things like that. Uh, But then as things change, you know, got into like really understanding marketing, the psychology of marketing, learning how to write copy Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, becoming emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent to be able to put yourself into your customers. So, so many people, when they try to sell something or when they market something, they're only looking at it from their lens Mm -hmm. uh, instead of asking, you know, turning it around and saying, okay, what is what is my customer? Who can I help? Who can I support? Where's their mindset? How do I communicate with them? Uh, that I, you know, what I have is their solution.
0: Yeah. I feel like sales oftentimes is kind of like a dirty word, but in all reality, like you just have a product and you're finding the people who have the need.
1: Oh, there's definitely shady sales people, you For know, sure. out there, but find me one industry where there aren't shady people. Uh, you know, people that think sales is a dirty word. I mean, have you ever bought anything?
0: Yep. Oh, have you okay. ever bought anything so, because of an advertisement you saw yeah. on TV? You no, know,
1: I think it's just, most people are scared to put their, put it out there. You know, the, the re- if you're a salesperson, you have to learn how to deal with uh, rejection um, a lot. You know, most people are going to get rejected more times than they're going to actually sell something. Mm-hmm. And so you have to you know, get over there and knock on a lot of doors. If you want to sell some greeting cards, finally get a <laughs> get a BMX bike. You always wanted, you
0: know? <laughs> oh my gosh. That seems like so removed like now when you're a girl scout i don't think you can even knock on the door of people you don't know like they don't want you going door to door they want you
1: oh i mean it's crazy back to you know victim in fear right everyone's in fear it's so dangerous so dangerous. i mean i grew up in the 80s right outside new york city i was 13 years old i used to go skateboarding in new york city until it got dark and then i had to call my mom and say i'm taking the train in the crack era yeah. the middle of the crack era so uh yeah i mean this whole you know stranger danger and, and i think that's it, it's, uh, you know, it's back to that victim, that victim mentality that people have just, they've become so scared mm-hmm. because they can't take care of themselves. You know, like they're just like, oh, you know, what's yeah. going to happen? Oh, I need safety and all this. And it's like, yeah, if you want to be successful, you got to take risks, big risks.
0: Yeah, you do. So as an entrepreneur yourself of many businesses, if somebody was listening to this podcast and wanted to be an entrepreneur, aside from the making sure you know how to advertise, what's like your biggest juiciest thing you would give to them?
1: I just don't quit, you know, keep going and you, know, you gotta get rich or die trying, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, get it, focus on your goals and figure it out and, and, you know, really make sure who you align yourself with. So I've had bad business partners in the back in the past. And, um, if you're not in alignment with the vision and, and what, where the company is going, just like I think in a marriage, although I've never been married, Um, you know, if you're not, you know, don't wait till you're a year two years into the business to figure out, oh, we are completely not aligned. Make Mm -hmm. sure that if you are going to partner with somebody or, and that and the people that you're going to hire. The other thing I would say is, is join a mastermind, get a mentor, find somebody that's done or what you're doing or something very similar and figure out how to get them to support you and not making mistakes, or when you do a mis- make a mistake, how to get, get back on track as quickly and, and as possible as on there, you know, being a martial artist, um, you know, you can't, you can't be a martial artist without a coach. Mm-hmm. You can't be a successful. I I, I read once on, a, on an airplane, uh, Tiger Woods had eight coaches, you know, like driving coach, strength and conditioning diet, like all these different putting coach, you know, all wow. these different coaches. So get a coach, get a success coach, uh, Don't try to do it and figure out, uh, you know, I'm going to do it my way. You know, Uh, you know, the other thing I would say to people is that, you know, if you if you want to, I heard Richard Branson say, if you want to be a billionaire, don't try to find an industry and turn it into a billion dollar industry. Find a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry and carve out your billion. Ah. So don't reinvent the wheel. So many people think, oh, I invented this new thing. It's so amazing. And now you're now you have to figure out how to market, sell, convince people how to do something that's brand new, Mm -hmm. um, find something that already works and, you know, copy it. You know, we, we always talk about R and D rip off and deploy, you know? So you gotta like (laughs) find out what other people are doing, do it better or make it your own and run with it.
0: Oh man. I feel like that's really great advice. Um, that's crazy. So this might be it. Tell me if I'm intruding, but not married.
1: Me? Not married. Never. Nope.
0: Backstory on that.
1: I don't, I think, you know, that's a good question. I get asked that one by every girl I ever date. Uh, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think I had a very strange, uh, Life growing up, I went to 17 schools before I graduated from high school, Okay, four high schools in four years. Uh, my parents literally moved me all over the world, all over the Middle East. I was in Europe, uh, all over the U.S. All Were they place. moving for work? Uh, yeah, for work and partly because I think they're gypsies. They both came from very small towns and decided they wanted to go run, see the world and drag their kids along with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. And, uh, I just, I have a hard time staying in one place for very long, just from moving, moving, moving my whole life. Like even when I lived in LA, I think I moved like four different places living in LA in like eight years. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, that makes it, most people don't have that lifestyle or that type of, of, uh, ingrained pattern in them. So that tends to, uh, make for me anyways, like relationships, people are like, Oh, this guy's all over the place. Like, boom, boom, I'm, boom, boom, I'm going mm-hmm. all over the place. So, and that, and uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm very bad at picking women. So <laughs> how about that?
0: Well, hello. <laughs> it's funny that you say the moving thing. Cause I moved as a kid, but probably about every two years until I was like 12 and I kind of had the same problem. Like I constantly have an urge to move, although I've been able to shut it up. Um, but I have found like even into my adulthood, that making and keeping friends for a significant Mm -hmm. period of time is a challenge for me.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: And I think it's because I've always learned like, I don't know if it's a never get too attached Mm -hmm. because you're going to leave or if it's just not understanding what it takes to keep a friendship like that for a significant period of time.
1: Interesting. I think I'm the opposite. I think I like was in friend scarcity uh, you know, so when I was a kid, there was no Facebook or anything. You had to write a letter to stay in, you know, my, couldn't even run up the parents phone bill. Like, yeah, hey, let me call international, you know, like, oh yeah. um, and so for me, like I probably one of the things I'm most proud of is that I have a lot of friends, you know, one time somebody asked me like, how many 4am friends do you have? I was oh 4am friends. Who could you call, uh, at 4am to come pick you up if your car broke down? And I said, uh, which city or which country? I said, what do you mean? I go pick a city. I probably got three or four in each city that you, that you could mention. So, uh, I'm kind of the opposite of that. Like I really work hard to keep my friendships. It's very important, um, to me who, you know, who my friends are. We support each other a lot. Um, I have a lot, a lot of 4am, uh, friends. So, uh, yeah, I kind of, kind of a little bit in the different uh, Mm. way from that. And I think also, you know, when, when you choose to stay friends with somebody so long, even if you've moved to different places and different area codes or, or, or whatever it is, um, it's a little different than like, yeah, I stayed friends with you because you live next door to me. We went to kindergarten together, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, you know, type of things. So, um, that is one thing that I, that I don't have that I wish I did have in that, uh, there, there is, a um, when people see you evolve, and have known you for a long time. I feel like, those are people that can kind of bring you back, you know, if you get out of control or something like that, they remember how you were in in second grade. And I do have some people, I I have some good friends from elementary school and stuff like that, that I do still stay in in touch with in different States. Um, but for me, uh, I do, you know, like on the holidays I go back, who haven't I talked to in years? Like I need to catch up with people. I'm constantly trying to stay in touch with people and and things like that.
0: That's amazing. Do you, what, What would you say was your favorite place to live?
1: Man, everybody asks me that. I I don't have, there's different ones are fun for different, you know, different Different ages, you know, different ages. Yeah. Different things. But, um, you know, one of my favorite places, I I lived in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro for three years and, um, you know, I I really enjoyed my time there. Um, I wouldn't want to live there forever. It's Mm -hmm. a crazy, crazy country, crazy place, um, to live. Uh, but it, when I was there, it was you know it was amazing, amazing learning experience. Learned a new language. Went there didn't speak really any of the language, and had to learn the culture and the customs, which are completely different than America. So, yeah, yeah.
0: worst place to live.
1: Oh man, You're worst like, place to so live. San Francisco is one of them.
0: Oh, uh, oh my God, okay. Else,
1: I I didn't like living in San Francisco. There's no girls in San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, if I was gay, it would have been awesome. I could yeah. have been the mayor, but you know, San Francisco is when I actually figured out what it was like to be you. I, I figured I was like to be a hot woman, a beautiful girl. I'm like, God damn guys <laughs> could say the same stupid thing over and over again, 50 times. I'm just trying to talk to my friend. I don't need a drink. I can buy my own drink. Why do you care where I'm from? What I do? So, can't you come with something more interesting? Get your hands off of me. You know, like, <laughs> so it true. It I'm like, this is what I do to girls. I'm like, I, I have a bitch shield. I have a gay bitch shield, you know, like I developed it over years of living in San Francisco. So, um, I don't know, you know, like I, I, you know, I like, I like all the places that I live for, you know, different, I mean, San Francisco's got amazing food and I, I developed a huge group of gay friends that I love to death there. I mean, damn, they party so good. You know, I like going to the gay parties better, you know, and You're free like, drinks. So, yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's very flattering. Uh, you know, so I don't know, worst place to live. You know, I, I, I used to not like Texas very much. My parents moved to this small town in Texas. That was kind of bad for a while. But, you know, even Texas has its benefits and good things that I, I I figure. you know, you you move as much and you live as many places, uh, you're going to figure out how to make the best of whatever's there, you Mm -hmm. know? So.
0: Well, you said you, you pick not the right women.
1: Yeah. Yes. 100% true.
0: Do you feel like you have?
1: I never pick the right woman. Woman. As long as it's women, I'm fine is when it becomes woman, that's where the problems come. <laughs> that's where so, it goes south. You know. <laughs> so you can
0: have multiple. They're all going to yeah. be great. But the moment you nail down one, that's the one you probably should run it from. It seems
1: <laughs> like it. Yeah, it seems like that. That that that's what happens with me. Not all my girlfriends, but, you know, in in, in in the ones where I was actually older, trying to like, okay, I need to have, try to, you know, have a relationship. For a while there was like, God, if I get much older, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be able to enjoy my time with kids. If I'm going to have a kid, I better hurry up and have one, you mm-hmm. know. mm-hmm. And so that you know, that's also kind of like when I see you know these, you know I know I've known girls, I met girls that are just you know baby crazy, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like you're something happens in your brain, you're like I need to have one now, and you're not really.
0: That's because you have your lifetime of to have kids. Hey,
1: which uh, which you know which uh, yeah I I I do, but like if I had a kid today, I'd be seventy years old by the time they're eighteen. True. You know what I mean? So, but you
0: have the option, I guess.
1: I guess if it's working, women.
0: It's a finite amount of time.
1: Yeah, it seems to be getting longer and longer. I got friends fifty that just had a kid. So yeah, it happens. It's amazing. It's coming around. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Was there one that got away though? Um.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. When I was like younger in in high school, now I don't I don't really have an issue with getting. It's it's more getting away than it is getting them to stay. I think more of the issue nowadays. I don't know. I'm just not really
0: what is emotionally sorry.
1: available for that particular what do you thing mean in my life? That? Huh? It's
0: what you just said.
1: I, I tend to have more stalkers and stage five clinicers than I do girls. I'm chasing after trying to get them to date me. <laughs> sorry. I, you asked the question. I don't know. I'm It makes stories up here, but yeah, you know, I don't, you I know. didn't
0: quite know what you meant by it. Okay. So you have a significant amount of women who are interested in you.
1: I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really compare with other people, but, I've, but I, I think I've been lucky enough. I've never really had a problem dating, I guess. So how maybe I'll say that, you yeah.
0: know? Okay. So I'm trying to work this out in my brain. I now. mean, when
1: you're the new kid in school, everybody's interested in you, right? You got, you go, you know, you move to this small town in Massachusetts or Connecticut or all these places, mm-hmm. Texas that I've lived, you know, and coming from somewhere else, you're interesting. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, who are you? You know what I mean? So,
0: Okay. So, okay. What I heard you say was the ones that are like coming after you are probably the ones you should be dating, but you end up seeking the ones that don't pursue you as much. That's not what I'm saying.
1: Um, I definitely pursue women. Um, What I'm saying is the ones that I've, at the times of my life when I've decided I wanted to be in a relationship and try to be in a committed long-term relationship, which has been quite a few. Um, those haven't worked out and those, uh, I seem to have made poor decisions. I I think that, my, and this is, this isn't just in my, in my, uh, in my dating relationships, but also my business relationships in the past has gotten to me is that I see the red flags, mm-hmm. but I don't see them as a big enough warning. So in hindsight, I can always look back and go, Oh my God, I saw this years before,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like, why did I, why did I wait till there? Uh, till way later to realize that, you know, that was, that was where I was at. Um, and I think in the, in years in the past too, in dating, I, um, I would sometimes like try to look for like the opposite of what I was doing. Okay. Well, I tried somebody that had these qualities was like this,
0: mm-hmm. I got to try
1: something different and maybe that'll make it work, you know? Um, so, I mean, my parents were together forever and I was lucky enough that they weren't, uh, you know, divorced. So you would think I would have some, uh, good, uh, idea you know from that um,
0: well or but, or maybe you put so much pressure on what it's supposed to look like because they've been together so long could
1: be it could be you know or maybe i'm just meant to be single
0: maybe you know maybe bring it on ready to stage mingle. five clingers let's go there keep coming uh, yeah, i'm pretty
1: yeah. pretty pr- i move a lot so it's you know it's hard to stay clingy for too long
0: like like you still are moving actively on a regular basis how how frequently are you moving
1: uh, well, you know, o- over COVID, I think I moved like six times, um, something like that because of craziness. But I mean, you know, even now, so before, before the, uh, pandemic, I was living in Puerto Rico, working in Mexico and I got my condo in Vegas. And so now I'm back and forth between Mexico and Vegas, uh, you know, all the time, wow. uh, with taking trips in between, I, I still love to travel. I do a lot of traveling. I,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I have way more stamps in my passport probably by the time I was 12 than most americans ever have uh, and continued on that throughout my uh my life um twice i filled my passport up to where i had to get a new one before it expired um first one before i was even 18 and so that was lucky and and Mm -hmm. cool um but you know I, i i'm just always moving like you said, today, how's your day? It was chaos. You know, that's normal. You know, i <laughs> just always on the run, always on the move, always things doing. Um, I was talking to my friend, Dan Hart today, who we share a condo here in Vegas. And you know, I finally got to Vegas after all these plane del- delays and stuff and getting there. And I was like, God, I've been doing so much this week. I'm like sitting here and I'm like stressed out. Like, wait, there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. You know, even though it's nine o'clock at night. I'm, I really have this thing in my brain, like, what am I forgetting to do? What am I forgetting to do? What am I forgetting? I feel like, let me check my list on my phone. Like, what am I doing that I that I didn't do, that I need to do? Oh, eat. I haven't eaten today. Yeah, that's what it is. You know I need to go eat, you know, things you like that.
0: just You always just keep I going. I forget
1: to eat all the time. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: That is crazy. Barely
1: like right. I ate, ran, but right before I ran over here is the first time I ate like three o'clock or whatever it was when I called you.
0: You have like your own intermittent fasting situation going Accidental on. Accidental intermittent fasting <laughs> is what I call it. Yeah. People are, are you intermittent fasting? i go,
1: not on purpose, but yeah, sometimes. Kind of. Sometimes I forget to eat for two days. How's that? You
0: know? <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you, well, maybe, maybe you haven't gotten in a relationship yet because it can't keep up with you.
1: That's a good one. That's probably you. Yeah. but anyone that could keep up with me, they'd be going on their own space, you know, doing their own thing anyway. So I don't know. I mean, I do think about having a kid sometimes it'd be fun to have a kid. You know, I like kids. I love teaching martial arts to kids and stuff like that. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure I would have daughters as punishment, but, um, (laughs) you know, Sally, whatever her name is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not just trying to run out and have a kid with somebody either.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: I've had plenty of offers.
0: I was going to say there's, I used to work at a long-term cryo storage for reproductive tissues. Anything is possible. There you go. You don't even, you don't even have to just have with some random, you can have picked out of a book.
1: I don't know. Oh, crazy. I heard unvaccinated sperm is the new gold. So who knows? Really? That was a meme, but yeah, I don't know if it's true.
0: (laughs) It might be true at this point. I don't know. Oh my gosh. (gasps) I just noticed your shoes, which since we're, we are, talking and not on video. I my socks were
1: brown. I mean, black, not brown. This Sometimes when you put them on in a dark closet.
0: I didn't notice that part, but you have Mickey on your shoes. I do. Yeah. You're a Disney fan.
1: Uh, no, I'm a Gucci fan. And these were the Gucci year of the rat limited edition shoes. So
0: See? <laughs> <laughs> I got them. Yeah, that's hilarious. Cause I'm sitting here like, Oh, he's a Disney fan. No Gucci. Uh. <laughs> okay. Well, if you walk by my suitcase over there, it has yeah. a Disney shirt in it. I'm a Disney fan. Awesome. All right. Well. I'm not, you know, I don't dislike yeah, Disney, well, but. They're an amazing entrepreneurial company. They sure are. Yeah. Holy cow, man. Do they have their hands in like everything. Things Scary. you wouldn't even think about.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. We got big pharma and big Disney.
0: Right? <laughs> I mean, yep. And tech. I would add tech to oh, that.
1: yeah, Big tech. Big tech, big pharma, the same thing almost
0: now. Why do I feel like you're somebody that's going to be like on one of the uh, first spaceships that allow civilians?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think they're already doing that, didn't they? Already started I think, doing that.
0: I think maybe, but.
1: I'm down to go to space. I mean, there's probably some other things. I'm trying to learn how to ride wheelies on my electric mountain bike right now. That sounds more fun, but.
0: An electric mountain bike? Yeah. That's cool. I yeah. didn't know that existed.
1: Really? Oh, yeah. They're super
0: cool. Okay. So you mountain bike. Electrically. Bit, yeah. And you jujitsu. Yep. And you don't cure cancer. You help it go into remission. Yep. And you create cancer drugs.
1: Yes. Not me personally, but yeah. Well, I you gotcha. support
0: that, yeah, that mm-hmm. avenue. What are some of your other hobbies?
1: Uh really like uh kiteboarding, kite surfing. It's really fun. I ride I skateboard too. Um Dang. taking beautiful women out on nice Dress up dinner dates.
0: That's, that's that's a hobby. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I feel like I've got interesting. Women. I feel like I might yeah. know a few people in my hometown that would like, that would be open to that. Uh, I'll I, send them. I,
1: I find people are yeah, usually pretty open to it. Huh? Oh, so, well, yeah.
0: yeah. Do you buy what the else? good wine?
1: Um, I don't, I don't really drink, you know, like oh. I learned like a long time ago that I'm not a nice person when I drink. So I will have like a glass of champagne here and there. Um, and uh, I like sake. I do like sake. So if I'm having sushi, I'll drink a little sake and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, I don't drink, you know. So Ed's a big wine connoisseur. So he's always uh, picking great wines.
0: I have to have but him on I next. I
1: don't. Uh, yeah, it's not really my thing anymore. I kind of quit drinking around uh, 2008 or 9. Um, I got an accidental DUI. Haha victim and um, i was so angry at myself because like i don't really want to drink or go out and and do that and uh uh yeah i ended up kind of out at a club that in uh in hollywood and and uh realized i had too much drink so i slept in the back of my car and um they woke me up and kicked me out of the parking lot and it was hollywood i could not find a single parking spot on the street and had been like three or four hours and my car kind of drives itself. So I'm like, okay, I'll just drive home and got pulled over and got a DUI. And after that, I was so furious with myself for being that guy Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that really was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So I love being the designated driver and uh, all my friends can drink all they want. And
0: you're like, I got you.
1: it's, It's, it's cheap. I don't get as fat. Um, you know,
0: Alcohol is terrible for your body.
1: I I mean, even like, and after, so when I got my DUI, I swore off anything until I paid off everything. Like I'm not going to a party. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I'm not doing anything uh, until this is done. And then um, in, in that process uh, was when I re-injured my back and found out that I needed a back surgery. And so then I got back surgery. Then I got strung out on pain pills for two years because I kind of like them. Uh, and they were just given to me like can't I was in pain, but uh, and so then when I got off all the pain pills and it had been like over two years, I started trying to drink again every once in a while. And I used to be able to drink a lot. Um, and I would just drink a little bit and I would wake up with a headache, like a hangover, like I drank a whole bottle of Jack to myself or something off of a few beers. And I was like, this is not worth it, yeah, not at all. So,
0: I I feel the same way. Like I'll wake up and I'll be like, what the fuck did I just drink? Like, I don't think particularly seltzers. I don't know what's in them. It's probably Mm. garbage, but you drink them thinking like, Oh, it's a hundred calories. Like if I'm going to drink, it's probably the best thing I can drink. And I wake up the next day feeling like I have a massive hangover. Mm. My body hurts. My joints are like stiff. I feel swollen. It takes, I swear I've gained like four pounds overnight. And it goes away within a few days as long as I'm chugging the water. But I'm like, what is in this shit?
1: I don't know. No, I'm not. No, that's just a thought. Seltzers. I've never even drank them. So
0: they're pretty good. I'll give are them they?
1: that. Yeah. yeah. I they're know like, those white claws are hot.
0: Yeah. They were like refreshing, Uh huh. not heavy, but they do the job.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. I yeah. rather just smoke weed.
0: I haven't done that in a very long time.
1: Now's your chance. Maybe. Right. or not.
0: Well, I mean, it's legal in Nevada, so (laughs) I got a vape pen at home. It's just been a really long time. Just getting old, I guess. I don't know. Something changes when you have kids and you're like, am I supposed to be doing this? I see. Yeah. Like even, um, even after having like my first one and then my second, and of course I was old enough to drink when that happened, but there's like this innate thing and maybe it's just for women. I don't know, but you're just like, well, I might have a beer, but what if they wake up? What if they wake up in two, mm. three hours and I'm not capable of like, it's awfulizing. I'm sure. Like, what if I can't get them to the hospital if they like choke in their sleep or I don't know. It's very weird. But yes, yeah, so I think you ward off a lot of that See, that's stuff. Why
1: maybe I haven't had kids because I'd be like, ah, don't choke. I can always make another one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: I never take my dog on a leash and people are like, well, what happens if your dog runs away? I'm like, I'll get another one.
0: Uh, what do you mean
1: he, he should enjoy the lifestyle he gets to live with me if he don't want to come back find somewhere else to get fed i don't care you yeah. know oh, i feel right. like
0: you say that but <laughs> i feel like the moment you'd have one you'd be like oh, my baby yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah of course yeah of course but um i guess before we wrap this up because we got a course to go to we do yeah what Ooh, um
1: are we supposed to be there already
0: no we got like 30 minutes oh thank god yeah, you might have to eat.
1: Yeah, I, I brought some food with me.
0: So. Good. Okay, so if you were talking to somebody who is maybe on the fence between going the traditional route of cancer treatment and going like the chips route or the more natural way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what might you say to them? Because in, okay, this is this is my thought process, and maybe it'll help you answer this question. I feel like almost everything we do in this life is better done more as naturally as possible. What we eat, like how we communicate with each other. Like, I don't know, this is very save the planet of me, but like recycling, like the more we can get down to the the basics of things, Mm -hmm. like even in our relationship life or our social lives, like the less we complicate it, the the better off we are. And so when I'm, when I'm talking to you, it sounds like even though you're utilizing chemo, you're trying to get people to as as organic or naturally be treating their cancer as possible. So like their own body.
1: Well, do the least amount of damage that we could. But yeah. before I answer that question, I first want to ask you a question. What makes you think you could save the planet? Hmm. I think you've been programmed. Uh. What you really should be thinking is, save the humans because this planet was here before the humans. And I tell you what, I'm really willing to bet that's going to be here after the humans are gone. So I don't know why people talk about saving the planet because the planet's going to be here either, which way. So, Anyways, what I would tell somebody, uh, and this happens to me every day. I had a phone call today of somebody whose mother has cancer. And um, first of all, I would tell them, do as much research as you can. Get as many tests as you, done, as you can, as many different genetic tests, and find out as much as you can about that. Remember the genetic mutations I mm-hmm. talked about? About your cancer as you can. The second thing is I would look at it as healing yourself holistically. And whatever treatment form you go with, like I said before, believe in it. And stick to it. Mm -hmm. There's certainly people that do conventional treatments that live, they get no evidence of disease and they're fine. Um, But some people it doesn't work for. So it's really about, you know, looking beyond just the medication, Mm -hmm. right? You got to look at why did I get cancer? Okay. Mm. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, it's genetic maybe it is i don't you know I'm not, I'm not sure there's so much evidence you know really on that but maybe it's more genetic you grew up in the same house as your mom you ate the same food you were around the same family members who were abusive you were around all of these other contributing factors just to say oh well i heard i had this gene and this gene causes cancer mm, there's people with that gene that don't get cancer so are you being a victim to your gene
0: Oh. You know,
1: so it's really, you know, like, uh, is that really what it is? Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, I'll give you, for instance, I have a friend and she had, was diagnosed or told that she had the, I don't even know how you say it, the BRCA gene, the breast cancer gene.
0: Oh, I have no idea. So Uh, you would know better than I. Yeah.
1: I don't know how to say it. I don't know. But anyway, so her doctor told her that she had this gene and she was likely to have breast cancer. So she chopped her boobs off and got implants. (gasps) And I said, I'm like, you can't convince me that your natural boobs were more dangerous to you than fake ones. We take fake boobs out of women constantly. They have a shelf life, you know, I'm not against fake boobs in any way, but for real ones, but you know, (laughs) I I, I just, to me, like the fact that a doctor would tell you, yes, your natural boob is more dangerous to you than a silicone plastic, whatever they're made out of implant is going to be for you. So I would really look at things, you know, if, if, you know, if if I got cancer, the first thing I would do is I would get as much information about my cancer as possible. And I would research and I would look at the research that I'm getting, who's providing that research Mm -hmm. and what's their benefit from providing that research. Because that's the way I feel about anything that I see on the internet these days. Okay. Who is putting this information out to me as best as I can figure it out? Can I trust that person? And what might their alternative reasoning be for why that they're putting it out there
0: Mm. and then
1: try to look for the other side and look at, okay, well, what are they? Okay. Maybe real boobs are dangerous and they cause cancer. Well, what are the, you know, what are the benefits then of getting these implants, you know, put in? Yeah. So,
0: well, that's fascinating. You say that because I, I, I read recently that now I read, I listened to a podcast. I love (laughs) pungus that, um, essentially like people who are being censored about being anti-vaccine on social media in particular, I think this was Twitter they were talking about. They would be censored on Twitter for saying something about the vaccine that may, might not be proven or whatever. But the, the interesting thing was, is that the, one of the corporate, um, what are they called trusted the board members mm-hmm. is also a board member on Pfizer. Mm-hmm. So then, I mean, I'm not saying that that's momentum. Is yeah. That no money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying that that was necessarily why it was, but you got to wonder like, sure. Look at the connection. So if Twitter is telling you yes, vaccine and they're getting rid of things that are, anti-vaccine. I mean, this will
1: be the first time in history where people who uh, burn books, censor, right? Are the uh-huh. good guys? Mm, Okay.
0: Oh, sure. weird. I've never thought about it like that before. Oh. It just makes you, and I'm not saying vaccines are bad. Obviously you and I, you've talked about it here mm-hmm. and I'm all my children are vaccinated for everything else, but it does make you wonder what's the motivation.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, we don't have time to get into a vaccine conversation because we'll be here all day. <laughs> we'll miss our class, but, yeah. uh, it's a crazy time that we live in. And, um, yeah, I mean, to me, like, you know, if people should be able to talk about what they want to choose, uh, I don't, I, I've had this debate with women that I've gone on dates with and, and friends of mine, and I don't understand how you can be pro choice, but then call me an anti-vaxxer. I'm pro choice. I think you have the right to do whatever you want with your body, but clearly you don't have the f- same uh, opinion of me because mm. I have a peepee, you know, because <laughs> I can't have a baby. Well, wait, actually men can have babies. I forgot. Um, you know, like what's the deal here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, uh, there seems to be, again, I think it's all programming. We're all programmed from, you know, the very beginning and, uh, it's, it's up to us to figure out like, uh, where does my belief really come from? Where mm-hmm. does my knowledge really come from? What am I making up about the world? What am I making up about myself? What am I making up about you? About somebody else? Mm-hmm. And um, are you being true to yourself? I, when are you know, I that being out. true to somebody else? You know, like yeah. it's really, uh, you know, I am very uh, much uh, on the fact of just leave people alone as long as they're not hurting somebody else. You know, let them let them do what they want to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what who do you want to have sex with? What do you want to do? What do you know? The Why you wanna wanna what yeah. do you want to be called? What do you want to do? Any of that? Like, eh? as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Then, okay. Then so be it. Do yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Well, dang. Thank you, right. Scotty. Thank, Thank you, you for coming on and being just authentically you.
1: Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not good at faking it. So. <laughs> well,
0: I appreciate that. And I think anybody listening to this would appreciate that too. Can you tell my listeners where to find uh how to find information on chips like what's the yeah
1: chipsalhospital.org um you know is our website we do free um doctor consultations uh for second opinions for patients uh with autoimmune issues cancer uh issues we also do anti-aging uh and regenerative uh, repair so uh stem cell stuff anything like that
0: wow thank you so much thanks My for coming pleasure. on yeah yeah i'll be back oh well, you better okay done i'm going to use that i'm going to use yeah. this recording of you saying that to be like you said It's pretty Dude. much a contract, right? At this point. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alright, thank you, Scotty. My pleasure. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a comment or like. If you'd like to see video content of this episode, follow us on our YouTube channel, Larry Simply. And as always, stay passionately curious.